Welcome to the very first episode of The Hannibal Files, a Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of the NBC series Hannibal. My name is Jeff, and uh, with me today is... Amir Jure. And I am Derek Wong. This week, we are kicking off our new season of the Strange Harbors podcast. So just to give a little bit of insight on, I, I guess, why we're doing this, uh, our podcast started as Who Watches the Watchmen, uh, kind of a episodic look at HBO's Watchmen. And really, after that season was over and knowing that there wasn't going to be a second season of that show... We went into our second season of this podcast, really talking about different topics like different movies, different series, different just general discussion topics. But now we're getting into the, the third season of this podcast and really shifting back to a series-centric podcast and shifting our focus to the acclaimed series Hannibal. What we're going to start doing week to week is kind of having a two-episode format. So we'll watch two episodes of Hannibal as we go each week. But that will be kind of considered our regular episodes. Uh, we're, what we're doing this week is more of a primer. And what we're actually going to be doing is discussing the 1991 classic based on the novels by Thomas Harris, The Silence of the Lambs. What is your kind of history with this movie, guys? Like, when did you guys first see it? What are your guys' impressions of it? I mean, it came out in 1991, so I was five years old. I definitely didn't go to the theaters to watch this. Probably like middle school, high school, maybe. I've seen it a bunch of times. so. But I probably, before this rewatch for this episode, I haven't seen it for in like, in like 10, 15 years, maybe. What about you guys? Yeah, substantially the same. I think I saw it in high school film class and then maybe once after that. But I definitely haven't seen it in 15 years. Okay. So, confession time. This is the first time I've ever seen this movie. What? What? Yes. You've never seen this movie before? Dude, get out. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up, you know, as a child, not like loving horror movies. I wasn't like into horror movies. I never really had an urge to watch it. And but, you know, once I started getting into movies, I knew it was inevitable that I would have to eventually watch this movie. And nowadays I'm not averse to watching horror movies. I like horror movies. So I'm glad that we're doing this. I'm glad that I finally got to see this movie. I mean, I've seen parts of it. Finally watching it like fully through the whole thing for the first time, I, I do recognize that I've seen the interrogation scenes with Hannibal Lecter. I've seen the ending. So like I've seen snippets of this movie, but I guess I've never actually sat down and watched the whole movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot believe I agreed to do a podcast with you guys. It's terrible. What did you think then since you're the, you're the first time or first time? Yeah, I'm curious to, to see what you've. I really enjoyed it. I really, really liked it. I doing the research, I didn't realize the kind of critical acclaim that also came with the movie. And and I, I only found that out after I watched the movie. So Oh really? I mean I knew Anthony Hopkins won, but I didn't realize it won Best Picture. I didn't realize Jodie Foster won. I didn't realize Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay. So I definitely see why it got all those things. I mean, I think Anthony Hopkins is still the standout to me, but I mean, Jodie Foster is really great in it. And I mean, it, overall, it's a great movie. Yeah. So I think this is uh, what's known as a sweep. Mm -hmm. It won the big five at the Oscars in 1992, right? Best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and best adapted screenplay, the category that it's eligible for uh, in the so is, is is a sweep considered one of the writing or the screenplays it doesn't have to be yeah it's like the big five i don't think there's ever gonna be another movie like this where it sweeps 
like all those categories, especially something in the horror category, right? Because this mm-hmm. is a horror movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And the only thing that the Academy respects less is animation, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for sure, right? Because like this yeah, is no. 100% a horror movie. And it was also the Dark Horse in that year, too, because the front runner for all of these categories was not Silence. It was Oliver Stone's JFK. But I think JFK had the sort of backlash to it where it was like Oliver Stone, people actually thought he believed in the conspiracy theories he was peddling. So he's like, oh, Oliver Stone's like a crackpot or whatever. And like, there was that kind of weird backlash to it. And then, I don't know, I think the the Silence of the Lambs just took the Academy voters by storm on, on this one. Yeah, well-deserved. I mean, I think a performance is all around. Um, Hawkins and, and Foster are both great, but then also Ted Levine as the um, Buffalo Bill character. Even Anthony Yield is seeing like a different iteration of, of Dr. Chilton, um, I think is, right, is interesting. Right, right. Dude, has Ted Levine done anything else? I, mean, I feel like he hasn't done that much that's big, and I don't really get why. He was great in this. Let me see. I'm playing it up. He was in uh, Jurassic World. I mean, he's been a lot of stuff. I think all like smaller roles, maybe like American Gangster. I'm seeing Shutter Island. I've seen all these movies. I don't remember him in anything. Yeah. So, did you guys watch this on Netflix? I did watch it on Netflix. Uh, no, no, no. I didn't watch the Netflix. Oh, okay. The Netflix transfer is not that great. I watched the Criterion Blu-ray remastered, and it looks phenomenal. It looks really good. It still has like the film grain and stuff that makes it look a little dated but it looks really good i'm glad you mentioned this because my eyes had to definitely adjust the first like 10 minutes of watching it on netflix yeah it is a little rough how bad it does look on netflix but the movie overall it holds up i think all the performances are great and i think like in many ways silence is incredibly progressive too there's maybe one way in which it's not we'll get into that later but like Especially the way it portrays Clarice Starling, right? And I think that has a lot to do with Jonathan Demme as a director. And like as a filmmaker who I always thought was very in tune with the human condition. And a filmmaker who I think has like great empathy, right? Like he understands people. And like forget that this movie was released in 1991. It's work with like Clarice as like a character is like head and shoulders above a lot of modern-day cinema and its depiction of a woman in the workplace, right? There's, like, no pandering mm-hmm. feminist messaging here. Everything you need to know about Clarice and her station as, like, a woman in law enforcement is told through, like, either tone or body language or subtext. It's not within the text at all. And that makes it, like, something so ahead of its time. Like, you know, like, from the beginning of the first scene of the movie where she's on the FBI training course and then she goes into the FBI headquarters and she's in the elevator and all the other FBI agents or trainees or whatever, they're like towering great over shot. her. It's so great. It's so great. Mm-hmm. Wow. In a way that it's so good, it's almost explicit, like it's almost text. And they, and they do explicitly talk about gender at least a couple of times, right? Because there's the scene where uh, Crawford uses her gender as a way to like get the police chief out of the room. You can tell how like destroyed by that she is mm-hmm. and he makes a comment on it later and like he's like hey i was like trying to do a thing with that I, you know obviously i don't really believe that blah 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 and he's and she's like yeah that was still shitty 
and you know he gets it, but like they explicitly do talk about it, so it's it's not right. Right. Like, I'm, not, I'm. I'm. I mean, I'm not saying like it's not. It, it makes sense within the universe of the film, right, or the narrative. Not like a lot of stuff these days, where it's just so heavy-handed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 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 not clumsy. It can be explicit in in your face, but it's not it's not clumsy about it. And I think it just makes me think of like completely different genre, but like. Avengers Endgame and like the the girl power moment and stuff like that, <laughs> mm-hmm. or like if you guys ever watched, I know I'm kind of dunking on the superhero genre, but like X Men Dark Phoenix, where Mystique Jennifer Lawrence's character, she's like, well, it looks like the women are always seeing the men around here. Maybe we should call the team X Women, you know, like shit like that. <laughs> it's not it's not like that at all. Yeah. And I think I think those those are kind of extreme examples because they're like you know, superhero movies and they're huge, but like, I don't know. I just wanted to use those as like a contrast. Right. And like Anthony Hopkins is something else entirely in this movie. And he's different from every other iteration of the character. Like we'll definitely be talking more about Mads Mikkelsen because I mean, the, this whole podcast is going to be about Hannibal, but like even Anthony Hopkins, he's different from NBC version of the character. Right. There's like a much more like reptilian, menace to him than in Hannibal, the the TV series, you know? But I think that's part of the the character, right? Because this is after he's already been caught, right? So, like, his his intentions are, like, known. But they're different. So, yeah, Anthony Hopkins is is great in this. And full disclosure, I am in the middle of reading Red Dragon. Oh, wow. Not a podcast about books. I don't have an entire insight into the the character of Hannibal within the book itself yet because I haven't finished it. But I, from what I've read, I've gotten to the parts where that he does. Will Graham has some interactions with Hannibal, and I will say that I mean not to speak too much on Mads Mikkelsen's performance. I do think that Anthony Hopkins' performance captures a little bit better the sense that I get from Hannibal in the book versus what Mads does. It's very different. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is an air of arrogance to the the character of Hannibal in the book that I do see come across in Hopkins' performance. But you're right. There is this kind of slithery, snake-like persona almost to him that I don't quite get from the book yet. Or if that ever even came from the book or if that was just really Hopkins' interpretation of the character. To go back to something you said, I mean, you talked a little bit about the, the kind of progressive nature of the movie. But then you mentioned something that wasn't i'm curious if you and i or even you and me and mir have the same idea when you say that there's something that isn't yeah so here's here's the thing and i think this is the debate about this movie that's been raging on for a really really long time is silence of the lambs transphobic right because buffalo bill oh you're taking this away oh okay Okay. interesting i'll bring up what i think that's that's the big debate right is the movie transphobic okay okay because I know the book goes out of the way to say that Buffalo Bill is not transgender. He's like an affront to everything that real transgendered people are. And I think the movie Mm -hmm. plays a little bit into that too, where Hannibal Lecter, he's like, well, he's not really transgender and things like that. But there was definitely a backlash to the movie where the, the gay community definitely took offense to, right? Because there's like this sense of otherness and he's also the villain of the story, right? He's the serial killer. He's cutting the skin off women 
to become something that he can't be, right? And people definitely like took offense to that. I don't know. What did you guys think? Do you guys think that Buffalo Bill is like a transphobic <laughs> character? I also think like this is also 1991. So like the woke culture is not like even in discussion right now. But even then there was But even then you're saying even then they had to Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was backlash like right after the movie was released. So interesting story. And this goes into like the empathic nature of Jonathan Demme as a director. He was so appalled that people thought that the Buffalo Bill character was like transphobic or like homophobic that right after this, he directed Philadelphia with Tom Hanks, which was one of the first movies to deal with like the AIDS epidemic and homosexuality. I don't want to say he did it as an apology, but like it spurred him to make a film about the topic and to treat it seriously, a little more seriously, right? And that made an explicit statement and, like, pick the side and clarify. Right, 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 right. exactly. You know, it's like, you, you can't really mistake his stance, I think, after that. I mean, I don't think it's it's transphobic. At least that's it's not something I read in that way. But, I mean, I guess I can understand if someone reads it that way and takes it offense to that. I can't speak to the subject of if that would offend someone or not, you know? Yeah, I definitely don't think it's meant to be transphobic, but... I don't know. There's, there is something about it that, as you said, the movie makes it explicit that, like, uh, you know, we're not trying to say that Jamie Gum is a transsexual. He's obviously not. He's, you know, there's, there's something wrong with this guy. Like, strangeness and humor. I don't know. I could see why you wouldn't want to see that if you're trans necessarily. And I'm not saying trans people don't like the movie. I know there's some trans people who absolutely love the movie and don't see it as transphobic at all. But I could see how, if I was trans and I was watching it, I'd be like, I mean, it's fine, but like, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not in love with that trope. Right. I think this also goes into more like the modern politics and just how stupid some people are. And I think this is what the trans community was upset about is that there are stupid people out there who will watch this movie and be like, oh, this is what trans people are like. Right. Mm hmm. And this goes more into like modern day politics and like how divided we are as like a society and like, that division is like so clear now and like how people can definitely like construe things in like the most extreme way. Right. And like the truth is that he is a killer in this movie. Right. And then like, I feel like it did open up the trope of like the queer or the gay or the transsexual monster. Right. I feel like there's a lot of stuff, especially maybe in like, I don't know, Law and Order SVU, police procedurals, and, like, other serial killer dramas and things like that, where it villainizes, like, the queer community, right? So mm -hmm. that goes into that a lot. What I also wanted to say was that Jamie Gum, like... I mean, it's also been parodied a lot. Like, you know, his, his scene where he, he tucks his penis in? That's been parodied so many times in, like, popular culture. That was in, like, Scary Movie 2... You know, but like there's also like a pain to the character that I think Jonathan Demme portrays so well and like um, and Ted Levine, too. Right. Even modern day depictions of transsexuals or transgenders aren't portrayed that way, where it really like shows the pain of not understanding why you're the way you are and like feeling that you don't belong in the body that you have, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, if you want to talk about, like, modern depictions of trans people, 
uh, that are extremely problematic. You talk about like Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl or like Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club, which I think have gotten a lot of flack from the transgender community for being like poor depictions of a transgendered person, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying kind of reminds me of the scene when we kind of finally get the reveal, right? Where he's like putting on the lipstick, he has the wig on, right? And he's basically kind of saying like, I'm beautiful in this moment. Right, right, right. So I definitely can see how Jonathan Demi might be appalled. Like, hey, I that was never my intention. But I mean, who's to say that someone didn't interpret it the wrong way? Yeah. So I'm I'm curious. What What did you want to talk about, Derek? What, so what I wanted to talk about. I don't know. Maybe maybe it wasn't an issue back then. But then I felt very awkward watching this movie, and then every twenty thirty minutes or so, someone is very intensely gazing at the character of Clarice. Did you guys notice that? Like every male gaze is just fixated on her. I didn't notice that as much. I might have to go back and watch again. Like Um, there's parts where like all the police officers at the the funeral home is like looking at her. Like um, when she's like checking in, the guy is just like staring at her. It's it's almost like it's like a commentary on like she's really beautiful. So like it's like everyone is has to look at her but it it's very i, I don't know maybe back then 91 it was fine i don't think it, it was <laughs> no I, I don't know i don't know <laughs> i don't think it was a matter of her beauty and like people fixated on that it's more about her own sense of otherness and how she doesn't belong in this world of men right Ooh, um, i'm gonna push back on that i think her beauty is definitely part of it Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, huge, for huge, sh- for like sure, a huge, a huge component of that with Lecter, with Shelton, with Crawford. Yeah. Even I'm a little bit more Derek on that one. I, I think that her. Yeah, her if you go back and watch it again, you'll it. like. I that's the thing I just kept noticing was just like there are very blatant shots of the guy looking at Clarice, like staring. What I meant was like it's not just beauty, right? It's it's the yeah. whole package of being a woman that's so like out of place in this in this world full of men right i mean mm. the beauty is part of it i yeah 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 no i i understand i know i understand where you're coming from yeah i, I understand what you're saying too like it is this kind of separation between her as a character and all the, the men that she runs into but i don't know maybe it's the way like demi kind of approaches the way he films it or shoots it it's it's very it crawled under my skin a little bit like mm felt inappropriate the way I, mean, I think it's supposed to right I mean, yeah, yeah maybe I mean, that was the intention i mean i think that's what the movie is about right so i mean i think if you're if you're picking up on that i think you're watching it the right way and speaking of the way that jonathan demi shoots this it's not very showy at all i don't think it's not a very showy movie so like if you want to compare this to red dragon or like hannibal the sequel directed by ridley scott there's no element where it's like plays up the horror or anything it's it's more matter of fact and that just makes it a little a little more terrifying i think and like his use of close-ups is so great right yeah, yeah. It's, He's, it's, yeah. it's all it's all low down close in yeah um, like there's not a ton of quick cuts there's a couple of really nice ones yeah but that whole ending sequence in gum's basement is like really really like tense and slow yeah and yeah 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 that's great i totally know what you mean about it but not being showy there's a couple of things where you go, okay, wow, you're really, you know, like like this this like the elevator shot, but there's yeah, there's not a ton of like really showy stuff. Yeah. In that way, but I, I, it's great. 
I guess the other show we shot would maybe be like the um, the strung up body of the cop uh, that Hannibal kills. Like that's another kind of yeah, or like Hannibal reflected in the glass while he's talking as Clarice. That's another yeah, great yeah, yeah. shot. But even those, which are great, great shots, they're not like super showy, right? Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, to compare it to something we're going to discuss next week, I mean, it's not like the series Hannibal, right? right. Like, it, not to get too much into that yet, but I, I definitely see where you're kind of coming from, yeah. Jeff. When, when you talk about the the showiness or the kind of like the cinematography of the, of a movie like this, it's very in a sense downplayed a little bit more muted in that sense and it's yeah but i i think it adds to the realism of the film yeah i think probably the most elevated performance in this movie is uh anthony hopkins as hannibal lecter right and mm-hmm. jodie foster as clarice that is not like a best actress type performance that you typically see it's very subdued right mm-hmm. you don't really see performances like that so like the big monologue where the title of the film comes from when she's talking about the slaughter of the lambs and like the nightmares that she has with, with Hannibal Lecter when she's, when she's talking to him about that, they could have gone in like a totally different direction and gone totally overboard with the melodrama and things like that. But Jodie Foster plays it very, uh, uh, very subdued, very close to the chest. Right. I'm just astonished that this performance, the Academy had the wherewithal to like recognize it even though it's not like the typical over-the-top best actress performance. Yeah, I mean, that Silence of the Lambs monologue is so subdued. It's not even the one I remember most from the movie. Yeah, I yeah, think exactly. I even remember more the, the Lecter and like Starling's first conversation sticks in the mind mm-hmm. a lot more. That like, Yeah, yeah. That one's super indelible. Like, I remember that. Even the, the Silence of the Lambs conversation, I kind of was like, oh, yeah, this. Oh, this is now. Yeah, yeah, now. But, yeah. yeah it's, it's very quiet. But she does such a good job of like being vulnerable, and I wanted to pivot back just because it it just popped into my head talking about that uh, about their first meeting, you know, multiple nigs, and how fucking gross he is, and how awful Chilton is. Yes, yeah, that stuff is like awful. So to give some insight, I found this really interesting. That first exchange between Chilton and, and Clarice is actually taken from the Red Dragon book. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so like the, the all the part about you know, only give him soft papers, no paperclip, no staples, pass everything through the pass. You know, I, I set up a chair at the end of the hall for you. Like all that actually comes out of Red So originally Dragon. that's Chilton talking to Will Graham. Right. Oh, cool. Exactly. It's it's yeah, it's actually yeah. Will Graham's and Chilton's first meeting. And I guess they just interpreted that for the, the Silence of the Lambs. It's just strange because there's also the book Silence of the Lambs. So I, I'm wondering now, like, what is Chilton and Clarice's first confrontation in, in that book? Because it seems like this was lifted more from. from and the as Red you'll Dragon. see, like when we talk about the, the show, like the show remixes the novels a lot. I mean, I only have like a cursory knowledge because mm-hmm. I've never actually read the books, but it definitely lifts stuff from one book and places it in the other and, and things like that, which is exactly yep. what happens in this movie, right? Which you just mentioned. And it's interesting because Dino De Laurentiis, who, uh, own the rights to all the Hannibal novels, the Thomas Harris novels, he gave up the Silence of the Lambs rights to MGM, which then made this movie, right? And that's the reason why Brian Fuller couldn't get the rights to Silence of the Lambs or Clarice Starling for his show. Mm. Yeah, because Martha De Laurentiis, she's the producer of the Hannibal series, 
but they didn't have the rights to Sons of the Lambs anymore, so they couldn't use Clarice Starling. But they were in the middle of negotiating for a season four, which would have given the rights to, to Silence of the Lambs and Clarice as a character, but the show got canceled before that could happen, which is a real shame because now they're developing a new series called Clarice, which is making my... It's not going to be good. <laughs> All right, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit because this is originally what I thought when Hannibal was coming out. I thought this was just going to be like a cheap riff off the Hannibal character, the Hannibal Lecter character, but like turned out to be something so much more um so Mm -hmm. but this does sound this does sound like a slap in the face right because they were in the middle of like negotiating for these rights when the show got canceled and now they're going to make a new show about clarice so whatever (laughs) but so so because um hannibal has has come to netflix very recently uh, i mean i've i've seen some reports all rumors of course that you know, there's, there's still, still hope. There's desire. still hope. Yeah, there's desire. You still hope, right? Especially now that it's on Netflix, you know. Um, you know, there are hopes that maybe there will be a fourth season. But then because of this Clarice show, does that I don't mean know, they're maybe. not going to then still get those rights for right, Clarice? Yeah, I don't know. Right? Um, yeah. Because I think that is a dynamic that is, I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, it's, it's somewhat explored on the Hannibal series, but never really mm. fully um, with another character on that on that show, and then I, I could see the addition of a character like Clarice being something special that could really maybe take the the series in a, in a new right. direction. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I think the the greatest thing about the Hannibal series is that Will Graham Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, that. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. But there's like a. Yeah, sorry, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and I just um, wanted to contrast, like, again, like, Anthony Hopkins and Mads Mickelson. Like, Amir, you mentioned that, like, this Hannibal's gross, right? He's disgusting. He's like a, he's like a nasty pickup artist serial killer. <laughs> 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 okay, not really. But, but, like, he's, like, negging her, you know, stuff like that. But, like, uh, that really contrasts with, like, Mads Mickelson's performance in the Hannibal show. He's, like, uh, I don't want to say, like, he's more, like, cultured and sophisticated because, like, Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter, is obviously also a, a man of class and distinction and education, right? But, like, I feel like Mads Mikkelsen, especially because he starts off the movie having not been caught as, like, a serial killer, he's more of, like, a gentleman scholar type, right? He's a little weird, but, like, he's helping the FBI solve crime. Yeah, he's definitely more suave. Yeah, he's definitely more. That's a great word. Yeah, suave, right? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, think yeah. it's mask on and mask yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. But but he but he plays with that like Aunt Hopkins just, like plays with that line, right? Like he goes back and forth between being like vulgar and sexually explicit with Clarice and like really like picking at her vulnerabilities and trying to like upset her with like pulling back and being polite and being like this weird, right, right, faux like gentleman killer. Yeah. So like it's it's very odd. Um, yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, because like some of the things that he says in that movie, I can't picture like Mads Mikkelsen's version of that character saying even when he's um, revealed, right? Yeah, like unhinged. He's yeah. not that. He's not that yeah, kind yeah, yeah, of yeah. Hannibal Lecter, which is interesting. We'll we'll get more into like yeah, that yeah. dichotomy later when we get into the series, but yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, I mean, I wanted to go back to something you said, Jeff. I, I think 
you know, I brought up the the kind of the comparison between the books and the Silence of the Lamb movie. But I mean, what are some things that I mean, I, I know Amir might not be able to talk to this as much because I know you haven't. Maybe this is a little bit of a precursor for you too, also to kind of keep an eye out on some of these things. Like, what are some of the elements that we see actually from Silence of the Lambs that I think that kind of maybe extend to um, the Hannibal series, like things that we can draw from that I think we have to pay attention to. Like, I think uh, a good example is the the character of Jack Crawford, right? I mean, he's a major component of Silence of the Lambs, but he's a huge proponent to um, the Hannibal right, played series. Played by Lawrence also. Fishburne. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the movie, it's Scott Glenn, but in the series, Lawrence Fishburne, um, we've already kind of started to touch upon the two actors that played the Hannibal mm-hmm. character. Um, but even some of the things that Clarice does in this movie, kind of like, you know, like the vision she's having of the past kind of reminds me of some of the things that happens to Will Graham's character mm-hmm. in the series. Did you kind of get yeah, that? Yeah, a, a little bit. Um, uh, mm-hmm. It definitely seemed a little familiar. I mean... But also, Will's character on Hannibal is different from Will Graham in the novel as well, right? Um, a little bit. I mean, they definitely draw. We'll get yeah, into we'll that. We'll get into that as soon as yeah. like the next episode, right? But like he's the yeah the, yeah the shows Will Graham is like he doesn't exactly say he's on the spectrum, but like he's he's kind of on the spectrum, um, and he says he's he's more closely related to like autistics and people with Aspergers than like narcissists and sociopaths, right? Um, He has like an overload of empathy for these serial killers where he can put himself in in their shoes, which is taken directly from the novel, but they put it in like a almost autistic kind of spin on it, but without without actually explicitly stating so. But I mean, I I just kind of implore our audience, like, you know, while you're watching along with us, I mean, definitely notice if you've seen Silence of the Lambs, I mean, you'll definitely start seeing some of the things that I think they've taken inspiration from, even from yeah. this movie also, you know, not just from the books, but also from, yeah. I think, and I, I think it's obvious to say that it's like Hannibal Lecter's like manipulativeness, you know, um, the way he like worms mm-hmm. his way into your psyche and like, um, you'll definitely see that on the show as well, you know, like his the big thing in, in this is like his quid pro quos, right? Like, it's like, mm-hmm. I'll help you, but like, you have to give me something in return. And like, he doesn't want like real like creature comforts. He wants, he wants like personal info, right? He wants personal stories from mm-hmm. Clarice so he can like worm his way into her mind. And like, uh, the rude people that he kills, that's like, those are like his snacks, but like people he sees as like his, almost equals like Clarice or Will Graham, he like really makes a full meal out of them. You know, like he loves getting in their heads, you know, and that's like part of that character. And you'll, you'll definitely see that in, in the show as well. So, yeah. all right. To pivot to like the eating the food thing, like what did those two cops ever do to him? They're just doing their fucking jobs, right? Like they're just doing their fucking jobs. Yeah. Like they weren't rude to him. They were like, Hey, they were like, Hey man, you know, if you're, Cool with us, you'll get three cots and a cot or whatever. And I, uh, he's like, "All right, but uh, if I get the chance to murder you, I will." <laughs> and he does. So, like, well, I think that the eating the rude concept comes more from the series, right? No, well, yeah. he is he that, he definitely or, has. Does he say that in he definitely yeah, has right. a huge distaste for Chilton, right? Yeah, um, but Chilton's a fucking prick to him personally. That's true. Right? Right, like right, the right. people that yeah yeah Chilton's like a prick to him personally. Um, yeah. You know, is it about not liking the root or just not liking his own ego 
to be damaged, right? Like, is it a... Right. I don't know. I mean, like... He just hits does... cops, you know? <laughs> right with, the, with a protest. The current, the yeah, the current, current political moment. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, okay, he does... I mean, I see that as a moment he's not being picky and choosy, right? He wants, yeah, he wants yeah, to yeah, escape yeah, this situation, it. so he's, he's got to do what he's got to He's got to... He's got to rip a face off and I wear felt, it for, I felt bad you know, for like guys. half an hour. And then um, fucking <laughs> sucks, dude. Yeah. Uh, but, and I guess he does like help Clarice because of what Miggs does to her, um, which is kind of just, or at least he says he does, which is, again, sort of a, a nod to his hating rudeness. So maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something to it. I don't know. So what about um, the senator's daughter? Like, I love how she, uh, uh, how she tries to do her best to, kind of free herself like i really like that i like that little sub i like that little sub oh yeah 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 sure. oh wow she's not just like oh i'm stuck in a hole i'm like not gonna do anything she's like pretty like resourceful and like does a good job of getting herself a little bargaining chip um yeah 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 i really like that um I really like how as clarice is hunting gum in the basement she's like um she's lying to the girl in the hole to make gum uh think that she has reinforcements on the way i really like that that was really mm-hmm. nice Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a lot of really nice little touches there like the smart things she does in that whole conversation that whole ending sequence is awesome like the um yeah. you know we talked about the cuts earlier but the intentional deception of cutting back and forth from the doorbell ringing to gum seeing the doorbell ring in the basement to going up and opening the door and then bam instead of uh, crawford and this whole SWAT team it's just clarice like oh that, yeah. yeah that shit that shit mm-hmm. rips ass mm-hmm. it's so good um <laughs> it's really yes. really good uh and then yeah. like yeah. the like the lingering touches on like the butterfly painting on the wall and the death's head moth in the kitchen and like just all these creepy things because you mm-hmm. know you as the audience obviously already know this is fucking Buffalo Bill but Clarice doesn't necessarily know that yet right 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 um, and, like, and so like you can see in her acting when she figures it out it's so good yeah and like going back to the doorbell thing like that might be the start of that trope with the fake out right because like a lot of movies and TV shows do that where they, it's like, you think that someone's at the door and then like, it's someone else, you know, it's like, it's like that kind of fake out. And yeah. And I think that might be the origin. Maybe. I, I don't know actually, don't know. but like, I um, I could see that being the modern day origin of that. Right. Um, 1991, it's early enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I could definitely, I mean, I think, you know, we're being a little bit more versed in watching tons of movies. I mean, I, I definitely saw what was coming, but at the same time, I still could definitely appreciate what was going on because I did realize, you know, this is 1991. Like, how many movies did this back then versus how many movies I've seen? Yeah. Now. And then, and then obviously, like the trope of using a killer to catch a killer, right? That's been played so many times because of this film and i want to say this film put the novels on the on the mainstream consciousness right um it wasn't the other way around the novel came out first and i think it was well received but it didn't have the the acclaim of a five uh academy award-winning movie right um and true and like the the use of like having the police like use a killer to catch another killer that's everywhere it's yeah it's so like ingrained in the pop culture like lexicon right um mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I'm not, i haven't read the books but it, i mean it, it's probably a better movie than it is a book just because the movies have been a fucking all-timer and yeah it's just probably like eh. i don't know like you know i've never heard anyone be like hey like check out this silence villain book it's a classic right but yeah. <laughs> but this is clearly clearly a, 
Yeah. Amazing movie. Um, yeah. I just remembered yes. another little, little, uh, you talk about the moths, another little, uh, male gazy thing was that the two, are they entomologists or are they just her fellow FBI trainees? Who helped her with the death sent moth uh, thing? Hey, those guys were staring at her too. <laughs> one, of, one of the guys. One of the guys, is just, <laughs> one of the guys is just straight up hitting on her, right? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that was just another one that just popped into my head. So yeah, like you're saying, it's everywhere. I and mean, this is what the movie's about, right? Like if you don't get yeah. the movie, if you don't get this movie is about how uh, about sex and love. Like you missed like miss the point, right? Um, yeah, and um, I just want to bring up like another parallel between like this and and the show, um, and, like, all the other Hannibal Lecter movies, too. Hannibal Lecter is most interesting when he's caged, I think. When he's free and, like, walking about and doing his own shit, he's just not as interesting. And, um... Really? Yeah, I think so. We haven't gotten this far, but, like, I know I've seen the entire series, and, like, it's the same way on the show as well. And, like, it's also the same way in, um, Hannibal, the... The movie, uh, the Ridley Scott movie with Julianne Moore, who takes over for uh, Jodie Foster. He's just not as interesting when he's like out and about killing people, you know, like it's, it's just not as interesting. Um, and and we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that when we talk about the series. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to yeah, table yeah, that yeah. and talk about this. I think I mean, I do think Mads Mikkelsen, like what he does with the Hannibal character, you know, because I mean, no, spoilers, I guess. I mean, like we said already at the beginning of the series, he's he's free. He's out and about helping the FBI. Like I, I don't know. I I find that relationship with him and Will Graham and and that dynamic super interesting. Yeah. Um, even compared to the the dynamic of him in in, in a cage uh, with Clarice, you know, like I think those two kind of performances are two different. Um, Hannibal Lecter's, I guess, in a sense, are both very interesting yeah. in their own right. I mean, we talked about most of the um, performances of all the actors, but I, I do find that the portrayal of Jack Crawford's, I, I feel a little bit different in both the series and the movie. I mean, we definitely already kind of talked about Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. being different. I mean, there's no, I mean, this doesn't have Will Graham and the show doesn't have Clarice, but I actually think that um, uh, Raul Esparza's uh, interpretation or Anthony Heald and, and uh, Raul Esparza's interpretation of Chilton are actually pretty similar. Yeah, they're they're both kind of like yeah. slimy a little bit. They're yeah. both power hungry. Like I think that's the kind of one performance I, I think that kind of relates and and is is pretty kind of crosses yeah, both mediums, yeah. uh, television. And um, media. I yeah. do prefer Raul Esparza's version of the character. Well, we'll get yeah, more. I mean, you get a lot more of him. We'll get more in, into in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I still think, I mean, now looking at it, I mean, I think the Anthony. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, job he's, with he's great as, as a yeah. slimy ass Frederick uh, Chilton, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, is there, uh, I guess, I mean, is there anything else you guys want to say and bring no, up? Not really. I'm just really excited to get into this series. Like, this prologue episode is a good uh, primer for what's to come. And um, Hannibal's one of my favorite shows of the last decade it's so so good um and i'm glad to be revisiting it with you guys so yeah i'm glad uh glad i went and watched this movie again it's it's so good it is yeah. good it, it makes me it, it makes me up. psyched to it makes me psyched to watch the show because the movie just yeah, the movie obsessed. yeah and it's not like super long it's like two hours it's so much yeah, yeah it's not that long um yeah I'm glad I watched it for the very first time all yeah, the way through. 118 um, minutes, not that long. A hair under two hours. Yeah. So. 
but yeah, like I said, I'm I'm real I'm really glad I, I finally got to see this movie. I I thought it was spectacular. I think the performances are great. And the funny thing is, I I started watching Hannibal before I saw this, so like I kind of had an impression of what the Hannibal Lecter character would be like. Uh, but I definitely see the value of both actors um, giving what I think are two different performances that are both just yeah. great. Right. Like it's really hard to judge one over the other versus some of the other characters. Like I think that overlap, I, I definitely prefer one over the other, but definitely I think Hopkins as Lecter, Mads Mikkelsen as Lecter. I think they're just both spectacular in this role. I think uh, Thomas Harris, uh, he, he deserves some credit too. Cause like he created all these characters and, and um, mm-hmm. the novels are pretty great. Even though I haven't read them, I've heard they're great and he deserves some credit as well. It's, it's, um the characters are fantastic yeah yeah so just to reiterate um next week we are going to start into our uh kind of what we'll call our regular show format uh we're going to be discussing the nbc series hannibal so if you haven't seen the series i mean this is definitely a, a great time to jump into it i think it is a great series but if you have seen it and you want to rewatch it again you can catch it on Netflix. It just released on Netflix. It was originally on Amazon Prime. I believe it's been moved off of Amazon Prime and now yesterday, it's on right? So we'll yes, I believe it came out. Um, and we were recording this on on the sixth, so just yeah. yesterday it, it just dropped. So uh, I mean, yeah, like I said, it's a great time to either start it or or catch up again and follow along with us. Um, we're not going to do any kind of binging of this. In a sense, um, we're going to just move uh, two episodes at a time so that we can really kind of you know, dive into these segments with a little bit more depth than we have, you know, if you've listened to us in the past couple of months where we, we talk about, you know, a group of like a half season or a whole season of a TV series, like one and a half hours of discussing it can't really, you can't really dive into as much as we would love to. So I think this will afford us the opportunity to really kind of get into some of these episodes and get in some of the details of the episodes that yeah, um, kind of what we used to do with Watchmen. I also wanted to make this distinction between this and uh or who watches the Watchmen podcast, um, we won't be recapping as much as we did in the Watchmen series because I think a Watchmen is a much more dense show, and like I think it benefits from a recap. Um, but I think there's so much subtext and other things uh, on Hannibal, and there's way more episodes. Um, and if we want to cover two episodes at a time we won't be able to really recap. So like, if you guys want to follow along, um, get the plot from when you're watching, uh, not from when <laughs> you're listening to us. Um, we'll try our best mm-hmm. to like condense a little recap of every episode, but we won't do a scene by scene. Like we'll, we'll highlight like the important scenes of each episode and things like that, but we yeah. won't be doing a play by play of every episode. So uh, we're going to be talking more about like the symbolism and um, the characters and, the trajectory of the storylines instead of uh, actually recapping the show. So, but well, like just like Watchmen, I mean, I'm I'm reading it. I mean, there's insights that I know yeah, Jeff yeah. has, Amir has, and we we'll all have different insights that we can still provide um, to each yeah. of our episodes. So, I'm definitely looking yeah. forward to it. I mean, I'm I uh, now that I've I've also started reading the Red Dragon, I'm actually like ex- kind of anxious to go back and restart rewatching it again to see if there's things I picked up that you know, they took, you know, straight out yeah. of the Red Dragon book. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. So uh, I believe that will conclude this week's episode. Uh, Jeff, where can people find you? You can find me on my blog at uh, strangeharbors.com and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. 
What about you guys? Uh, you could follow me at the wrong dig, dig spelled D A Y I K, and that's for both Instagram and Twitter. And if you liked this show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, uh, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. And uh, one of the easiest ways to show your support for our podcast also is to uh, rate our podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, uh, a good star rating definitely goes a long way into you know getting our podcast out to many more people. So we definitely appreciate it if you can give us that kind of support. Yeah. And uh, if you guys have any questions, comments, suggestions, feel free to send an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. Uh, we always like to hear from our fans and listeners. So if you guys have anything to say, just shoot us a line. We might even read your email on the podcast. So um, feel free to send us some emails. Um, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Um, next week, uh, we're doing season one, episodes one and two of Hannibal. See you guys next week.